My name is Alan Carr. I'm pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Lenore, North Carolina. Thank you for visiting our webpage and for taking the time to listen to one of our sermons. We hope this sermon, which was preached in our pulpit, will be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and help you grow in your understanding of God's Word. God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of the Word of God. Luke chapter 1, we'll read the first four verses of Luke and really talk about Luke's introduction or his prologue, and uh, we'll deal with those first four verses today. Won't be a whole lot of uh, hard preaching here, but be some instruction, I hope, some, maybe some understanding for us about what makes Luke tick as he begins to write this gospel. If you found Luke 1, 1, let's stand together. We'll read these four verses. If you're able, I ask you to stand. If not, we certainly understand that. <clears throat> the Bible says in verse 1, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they deliver them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. You can be seated. I said we're going to be talking about the Gospel of Luke for a little while, and I'm entitling this series, Luke, The Gospel for Everyone. One of the primary verses, the key verses in the Gospel of Luke, is found in Luke chapter 19, verse number 10. In that particular passage, Jesus has an encounter with a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. And while Jesus is at the home of Zacchaeus, Jesus says this, he says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And this is a prominent theme in the Gospel of Luke. From place to place, you see Jesus reaching out and seeking those who are lost. From beginning to end, Luke gives ample evidence of the Lord's compassion for lost sinners. What I like about Luke is that he pays special attention to the Lord's saving ministry, to those who were the outcasts and the downtrodden in Jewish society. He talks about the Lord's compassion toward Gentiles. The Samaritans. He elevates the place of women. He talks about the Lord's ministry to children. How Jesus, he tells us, reached out to tax collectors and others who lived on the fringes of Jewish society. So Luke records how Jesus reached out to the unloved, the unwanted, and the unconverted. What Luke does is portray Jesus as the Son of Man, rejected by Israel and offered to the world. So Luke, in a sense, highlights the universal scope of God's gospel invitation. That's why I say Luke is the gospel for everyone. And I would say it this way, Luke is the gospel for you. This book is written so that you might know the certainty of what you've heard about Jesus Christ. Now, the author of this gospel is Luke. Even though his name is never mentioned in this book, nor is it mentioned in the book of Acts, there's been almost universal agreement since the early church times, the second century, that Luke is the author of this book and the book of Acts. What's interesting about that is Luke is relatively unknown as far as the Bible is concerned. His name is only mentioned three times in the whole New Testament. That's the only time 
you find Luke mentioned. He's mentioned in Colossians, he's mentioned in 2 Timothy, and he's mentioned in Philemon. And his name is usually just mentioned within a list of other people. But from those passages and from what we read in Luke and Acts, we know a little bit about him. Colossians 4.4 tells us that he was a physician by trade. That is, Paul called him the beloved physician. We don't know how they met one another, but we do know that Luke was Paul's companion from at least the time of his Macedonian vision in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10, all the way until Paul's martyrdom in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Now when you begin to read the book of Acts, beginning in chapter 16, verse 10, all the way through chapter 28, you're going to find a whole lot of occurrences where the author, Luke, says, we went here, we did this, we saw that. They're called the we passages. And in those passages, Luke does not mention his name, but he does let us know that he traveled and experienced much with the Apostle Paul. Now by all accounts, Luke was a Gentile. And you figure this out in several places, one being Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, and then in verse number 14, because in that passage, Paul lists the names of many of his helpers and companions. And he begins the list with those among his company who were Jews, and he ends the list with his Gentile companions. And Luke is at the very end of that list, suggesting that he is probably a Gentile, perhaps Greek in origin. Now, perhaps this is why Luke pays such careful attention to the Lord's love for Gentiles and outsiders. Because Luke knew what it was to be an outsider. He knew what it was to be a Gentile Christian. Now, many folk in that time saw Christianity as being nothing more than an offshoot of Judaism. And many Jewish Christians believed the Gentiles in the church were second-class believers. And Luke understood what it was like to be an outcast. So he takes pains in this book to let his, let his readers know that Jesus is a Savior who offers salvation to everyone who will believe the gospel, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their status in life, and regardless of their background. Luke offers Jesus as a universal Savior. Now what's interesting about this Luke is a Gentile, as I said, and his book, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts, which, as I said, he also wrote, they comprise one-fourth of the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you had all of these Jewish people there, these apostles and others who, who were with Jesus from the beginning. And even though Paul and others wrote more books than Luke did, Luke wrote one-fourth of the New Testament. In fact, Luke and Acts together comprise over 65 years of New Testament history. And Luke writes as a competent, consummate historian. He provides clear, detailed information about the ministry of Jesus and the people Christ encountered. He's given very much to precision and detail. And I would imagine his training as a physician provided him with the skills necessary to make him a thorough and precise historian. So this gospel is well written. If you read the scholars, they say Luke and Acts are among some of the most well-written texts in the New Testament. Now, Luke's gospel, I'm just kind of introducing the book. We'll get to some thoughts, get down to the text in a minute. But Luke's gospel is unique because it contains people and scenes not presented anywhere else in the other gospels. 
Luke's account of the birth of Christ is the fullest in all the Gospels. Luke gives us the details surrounding the birth of John the Baptist. Luke tells us the name of John's parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Luke writes about the announcement of the Lord's birth to Mary. Luke writes about the manger and the shepherds and Simeon and Anna in the temple. He also shares 16 parables that are not found in the other Gospels. Parables that we know and love. Parables like the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. He gives us the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Great parables. He also talks about the rich man and Lazarus and all the content in chapters 1 and 2 is basically unique to the Gospel of Luke. Now much more could be said about this Gospel. In fact, you could go on for a long time talking about the unique features of Luke's Gospel. But perhaps it's best for us today to allow Luke to speak for himself. So I want to look into these first four verses today and talk about Luke's prologue. And in this prologue, Luke gives us the reasons why he writes this book. And we're going to come back to it at the end, but this is, in a book, this is a book addressed to a single individual. He identifies him down in verse number 3, a person he calls the most excellent Theophilus. This book is addressed to him. By the time we're through today, I hope you'll understand that even though it carries Theophilus' name in the address, I hope you'll see that this book was written for you. So let's talk about the reasons that Luke presents as he states his purpose for writing this book. Notice first Luke's desire. Now, in the first three verses, Luke tells us what the Lord has placed in his heart. He tells us in verse 1 that other people had already written other works. He mentioned those that came before him. Perhaps he's referring to the Gospel of Mark, which was the first of the four Gospels written. The Gospel of Matthew may have already been written by this time. And certainly there were other works in, in, in print or handwritten which had already been produced, which we don't have copies of today. Others had written about the accounts of the life of Christ, and Luke had access to many of those. And he tells us here that he doesn't find fault with those earlier manuscripts, but he has in his heart to write things more orderly, to put things out there in the proper sequence. Luke has a desire to set the record straight on some issues. Now besides the, the handwritten records of the accounts of Christ's life, Luke also had access to hundreds if not thousands of people who were eyewitnesses in verse number 2 of the ministry of Jesus. These people had seen Jesus work miracles. They had heard Him preach the Word of God. They saw how He lived, how He worked, how He died, and they had a story to tell. Now the word eyewitnesses there in verse number 2 comes from a word that gives us our English word autopsy. Now what it means literally is to see with one's own eyes. When a medical examiner performs an autopsy, he or she is able to see with their own eyes what happened to cause a person's death. So Luke had access to people who with their own eyes 
had seen Jesus with their own ears. They had heard Jesus. They had walked with Him, perhaps talked with Him. People like Mary were still around, and uh, some of the disciples were still around, and perhaps some who had been healed by Him. The women who ministered to Jesus as He traveled from place to place. Luke had access to all of those people to interview them and to talk to them. And by the way, he had time to do these interviews too. There was one period when he was with the Apostle Paul, and Paul spent a considerable amount of time in Jerusalem and in the area under arrest, and Luke would have been free to visit and travel and conduct interviews and talk to people and set the record straight. That's what he's telling us. He said, I've I've interviewed people, I've talked to people who saw these things with their own eyes. Then in verse number 2, he also mentions those who were ministers of the Word. That would include the apostles and the early leaders of the church. Those men commissioned by Jesus to carry the message to the next generation. Luke had ready access to many who knew the life of Jesus intimately, and he made use of every resource at his disposal. Now again, I tell you, Luke does not disparage or put down in any way the work of others. He does not say their work was lacking. He's not saying Mark is not sufficient, Matthew is not sufficient. What Luke does is express a desire to present an orderly account of the life of the Lord Jesus. In verse number 3, he uses the word order there. He says, to write unto thee in order. That word means one after another, successively, in order. So what Luke wants to do is take us from the beginning. The beginning of the gospel, the time when Jesus came. And he begins with the birth of John the Baptist. He moves us through the birth of Christ. He takes us through the life of Christ, all the way to the cross, through the empty tomb, until the time Jesus ascends back into heaven. He wants his readers to have a historically accurate account of who Jesus was, what Jesus did while he was here, and what Jesus accomplished for us during his life, death, and resurrection. So, as a thorough historian, Luke accomplished his goal, in my opinion. Now, the phrase, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, in verse number 3, what that basically means is, having followed all things closely for some time now, What Luke is saying there, he took everything he heard, everything he read about Jesus, and he investigated it to get to the truth of what actually happened. Now, if you know eyewitness stories, sometimes eyewitness testimony is not always the most accurate. So Luke would take all of these stories he heard, he would take all of these accounts he read, and then he would sift through all of that to get to the truth and find out what actually happened in the life of Christ. And that's what we have here. So Luke is a historian who has a desire to give us a lesson in truth. And he tells Theophilus in verse number 4 that he wants him to know the certainty of the things wherein thou hast been instructed. The word certainty means truth. That's what Luke is after. Luke is after the truth. He is a scientist by training. He is a man given not to fables and fairy tales and fictional accounts. He's trying to get down to the truth, and that's what he does in this gospel. What that does for me, and I'll say this and move on, but Luke's desire for historical accuracy gives us confidence 
as we read this gospel. When we pick this book up, we know we are reading truth. Not just because Luke was a consummate historian who was seeking truth, but because Luke was a man inspired of the Holy Spirit. This book is in your Bible because God moved upon Luke's heart to do this hard work of investigation, to write down the truths he uncovered, and to give us an accurate, detailed account of our Lord's life and work. What we have here is an accurate record of our Lord's teaching. It is an accurate record of our Lord's love for people like us. It is an accurate statement of how people are saved by the grace of God. So as we study the book of Luke, let us do so with confidence, knowing that we are in fact not just reading the words of a man, we are reading the words of God inspired by Him and handed down to us through the ages. So that's his desire. He just wants to get to the truth, and that's what he's after. But notice his dedication. Now, Luke's desire to be historically accurate is proven, I think, by the diligent research he puts into his gospel. He speaks of, in verses 1 and 2, of setting forth in order a declaration of those things which most sure are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us. Luke wants us to know the surety of those things which are believed among us. That speaks of the gospel message. It speaks of the birth and life of Christ. It speaks of His miracles, His preaching, His death on the cross, His resurrection, His ascension back into heaven. What Luke is talking about is the whole body of Christian belief and doctrine. Luke says, I have a desire to get to the truth of that and present that to you. He talks about this truth, these things which were delivered unto us. Now the word delivered there means to deliver as a matter of instruction. From what I've been able to find out about that word, it was a technical word in the Greek language used to refer to oral testimony. Back in those days, not a lot of handwritten documents existed. Of course, there was no printing press and no way to produce documents on a mass scale. And stories were handed down orally. So all these teachings came from the mouth of Christ orally. We don't have record of Jesus writing anything except that time in John 8 when he stooped down and wrote on the ground. We don't have any record of Jesus writing his teaching down. He taught the people. He taught his disciples. And those he taught passed on those teachings, and they passed on what they saw Jesus do. They passed on that record orally. So Luke has received this oral record of who Jesus was, and he has sifted through all of that, and he is bringing us an accurate detail of what actually happened. Now in verse number 3 there, the words perfect understanding. They have the idea of investigating, of studying, of following up, of searching out. So what we're saying is, is that Luke took all of these things he learned and he sifted all the details until he arrived at the truth. Now it's interesting, in verse 3, Paul says there, having perfect understanding of all things from the very first. That little phrase there, from the very first, is literally translated from above. And so Luke there tells us that this quest for truth these interviews, this writing process, this, this whole quest to get his handle on who Jesus was and what Jesus did 
was led from above. Luke said this desire came from above, the guidance came from above, and the final product came from above. In effect, Luke is claiming divine inspiration for his book. I don't have a problem with that, do you? I believe it's divinely inspired. Now this effort, it took a tremendous amount of labor on Luke's part. But he remained faithful to the task as he sifted through all the stories and winnowed out the truth. And here's the thing about it. Christianity is not a religion, if you will, that's based on abstract conjecture. It's not based on fables and fairy tales. Christianity is a faith based on fact. And what Luke shares with us are simple, verifiable facts, and everything he says is truth. And ladies and gentlemen, we are indebted to Luke for his diligence in writing this book and giving us what we have. Were it not for Luke's efforts, much of what we know about the life of Jesus would be unknown to us. As I said, many of the stories and parables which we know and love, the parables and stories which have fed us and instructed us, would not be part of our Bible were it not for Luke. We wouldn't know how John the Baptist was born. We wouldn't know anything about John's parents. We wouldn't know how Mary received the announcement she was going to bear the Christ child. We wouldn't have the songs of praise from Mary, Elizabeth, and Anna. We wouldn't know the names of the last three were it not for Luke. We wouldn't, we wouldn't know all about the events surrounding the birth of Christ, or we wouldn't have a record of his visit to the temple when he was 12. And again, 16 parables would not be ours was it, were it not for the labors of Luke in his gospel. And had he not been so dedicated to finding and sharing truth, much of what we know about Jesus would be missing. So we owe Dr. Luke a debt of gratitude, don't you think? And the best way for us to repay the debt we owe him is for us to read and heed what he says in his book. And as we study the life of Christ here as it's presented in the Gospel of Luke, I pray we'll grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and of what he did. And I pray those who do not know him will come to know him as they find out about the historical biblical Jesus. And this book is designed to teach us about Christ about the Christ who has the power to save all of those who will come to Him through faith in the gospel. So His desire is to give us truth. His dedication is to find the facts and winnow out those things that are not true and just give us what is. But notice His direction. Let me give you that. Twice in this passage, Luke uses the word order. In verse number 1, he says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set in order a declaration of those things which are surely believed among us. The word order there means to arrange or to compose. Now Luke says some have already taken pains to arrange these things and to compose these things in their writings. But he comes along in verse number 3 and he says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very start, to write unto thee in order. That's a different word. It means in a continual order or series consecutively, successively. What Luke does is give us a successive overview of the life of Christ. And that does not mean that Luke's gospel is a chronological biography of the life of Christ. He doesn't lay every detail in strict order, but he does give us an orderly arrangement of the earthly life and ministry of Christ from His birth 
all the way to his ascension back into heaven. So his direction in this gospel is to take us from the manger to the throne. And along the way, Luke opens up the life of Christ for our inspection. Now, as I said earlier, Luke presents Jesus as the Savior of humanity. He identifies Jesus as the only hope for fallen man. He pictures Christ repeatedly reaching out to the outcasts and down to the downtrodden. Luke shows Jesus loving the unlovable, saving those rejected by society, and having compassion on those for whom no one else cared. That is a key feature of the Gospel of Luke. He wants us to know that Christ loves us, that He can save us, that He has a heart for those for whom no one else cares. And in this book, you will see Jesus presented not just as the Messiah of Israel, but as the Savior of all nations, classes, and kinds of people, even people like you. I love this book. Luke wants you to know what the apostles want you to know, which is what Jesus wants you to know, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by Him. The Bible teaches us that salvation, forgiveness of sin, everlasting life are found in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone because He died for our sins. And through his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, we have the promise he will save all of those who will come to him by faith. Paul said this, a passage we've looked at many times, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That doesn't mean I'll be ashamed of my testimony. It means I'll not stand before God in shame. Whenever I face God, if I'm in Christ, I don't have to be ashamed because I'm saved by the grace of God and my sins are taken away. Now watch this. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the message of Luke. Luke's direction in this gospel is to move us from seeing Jesus as God in human flesh, through His ministry on earth, past His crucifixion, and, and all the way through His resurrection to see Him with God in heaven in exaltation, offering salvation to lost humanity. Bottom line, Luke wants the outcast to know they are cared for, they are loved by God, and they can be saved. That's his direction. Let me give you one final thought. Notice his design. Now he tells us that his design is to write in order, verse number 3. As I said, he wants to give a logical arrangement of the events in the life of Christ. And Luke addresses this gospel to a man by the name of Theophilus. Now, we don't know much about Theophilus. We do have his name mentioned again in Acts chapter 1, where Paul, or Luke rather, also addresses that book to him. The name Theophilus is a name which means lover of God. 
And that indicates that Theophilus is either a believer in Christ, or he is a man who is interested in knowing more about Jesus. Luke also calls him the most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent there is a title of rank and honor. Now he may have been a Roman official, he may have been someone of prominent social standing, we just don't know. It is possible that Theophilus commissioned Luke to write this work, providing him financial support. From his name, which means lover of God, we can probably assume that Theophilus is a believer. And perhaps he is struggling with some of the conflicting accounts he's heard and read regarding the life of Jesus. Now what I think sometimes we forget is that we, we have our Bible, and our Bible is complete, and the books that are in it are part of what is recognized as the canon of Scripture or the inspired record of God's Word. But early on in the days of the early church, a lot of other so-called Gospels were written. There's a lot of them. The Gospel of Nicodemus, the Gospel of Barnabas, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Thomas. They go on and on and on. They're part of a body of work known as the pseudepigrapher or the false writings, okay? And these, these early records were rejected by the church. They were full of errors. They were full of fables. They were full of fairy tales. And for the most part, they were rejected. So Luke... And Theophilus, no doubt, had access to some of these early books, which we don't have today. You can find them if you hunt for them, but there's no real point. But maybe he's trying to sift through all of this stuff and find the truth. Or maybe he's a Gentile just trying to find his place in a religion with deep Jewish roots. Perhaps he wants to know the truth of what he's heard. All sorts of stories and legends abounded, as I said, and Theophilus may just have the desire to separate fact from fiction. But Luke tells him, I'm writing you so that you'll have certainty or truth concerning the things you've heard. What he's saying is, Theophilus, you want to know the truth. Here's the truth. You can forget everything else because what I'm about to tell you is the truth. Here's what I want to say about that, and I love this. Luke was writing to help one man come to know the truth. Luke had no idea that 2,000 years later, far across the ocean, in a little place called Lenore, North Carolina, a little body of believers would be reading the words he wrote to this man, Theophilus. He had no idea what God would do. He was writing to help one fellow. But God in His sovereign providence has disseminated the gospel of Luke around the world so that today God has used the beloved physician, theologian, historian, and pastor. He has given him the privilege of bringing light and hope and truth to millions down through the years. Thank God for what God does. Isn't that amazing? That God would take this little fellow who was a pretty much an unknown Gentile, and God would let him write one-fourth of the New Testament, and that God would sovereignly preserve this word for us so that you and I might read it today and learn more about who Jesus is and grow in our understanding of truth. Thank God for that. That is a blessing. Now, that's what Luke's doing in this book. Now, I told you, I was calling this series, Luke, the Gospel for Everyone. If you look at the name Theophilus, remember I told you it means lover of God. If you look at that name, you may see something of a play on words. This gospel may have been addressed to one man, but it speaks to all of those who love God. So that's why I say this is the gospel for, for everyone. If you love God, Luke was written for you. 
Luke was written for all of those who will become true believers of, uh, of Jesus Christ, of, of, through faith in Christ, believers in God through Christ. It was written so that you might come to know Jesus if you don't. It was written so that you might know the essential facts of the life of Christ. It was written so that you might read its content and learn about who Jesus is. And thank God, 2,000 years ago, whether Theophilus commissioned this or whether Luke took it upon himself or whether Paul suggested it, we don't know where the idea came from humanly, but sovereignly, divinely, God inspired Luke to do what he did and God shepherded putting these thoughts on paper so that you and I might have the record of the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. Thank God for it. Thank God for it. And so that prologue is all I'm going to touch on today. That's enough. And we'll come back next week, and Lord willing, we'll move a little deeper into chapter 1. So here's, here's what I want to say to you. I know this has kind of been more of an instructive teaching type message, but I've given the Gospel today. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, remember that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. And if God's calling you to come to Christ, I challenge you to come to Him for salvation now. And if He is calling you upon you as a child of God to thank Him for His divine providence in giving you the precious Word of God, which from cover to cover is absolute truth, and it's inspired, it's without error, it's infallible. You can believe it, you can live your life by it, you can bank your eternity on it. You ought to thank Him for His truth today and give Him glory for giving you truth. For many of us, we ought to think about what God did with Luke and renew ourselves to a deeper passion for Christ. Commit ourselves to what God wants us to do with our life often thought about Luke. I don't know how he and Paul came together. I don't know how they met. F.B. Meyer, I was reading him on this, and F.B. Meyer suggested it's totally fictional, just something he thought of. He's talking about when Paul arrived in Troas, I believe it was, how arduous his journey had been. And he talked about the physical ailments Paul had, and perhaps he needed a doctor. And maybe Somebody brings a doctor, just happens to be Luke, and then that friendship is cemented and Luke stays with Paul all the way through his ministry. I don't know how he met Paul. I don't know how Luke was brought out of the shadows and came to Christ. I don't know how he was brought into this whole picture, but I'm glad he was. I'm glad God in his sovereignty knows where his people are. And God knows how to bring us unto Jesus in the right place at the right time so we can be about his business in this world. You have been listening to a sermon from Calvary Baptist Church. Thank you for taking the time to visit our webpage today and to listen to our sermon. Please check back often for new content. We'd love to have you visit with us at Calvary Baptist Church. The church is located at 1369 Blowing Rock Boulevard Northwest in Lenore, North Carolina. Our Sunday morning worship begins at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m., and Wednesday night at 7 p.m., and you would be welcome at any of our services. Thanks again for listening, and may the Lord bless you is our prayer.